Welcome to Psychedelic Radio. I'm Christina Thomas, the president and founder of Myself Wellness, and my co-host is Charles Patty. Together, we co-founded the Warriors of Consciousness, a not-for-profit to help people gain access to psychedelic ketamine therapy. Together, we are on our mission to help save and transform lives through this treatment. In this podcast, we'll be pushing boundaries, breaking taboos, and shedding light on the use of psychedelic medicines. We want to share expert knowledge and firsthand accounts of those who've experienced transformative psychic shifts using psychedelics. Journeying with us today on this edition of Psychedelic Radio is Christopher Moreau. He is the CEO of Algernon Pharmaceuticals. Algernon is a drug development company. Charles is going to be super excited about this part. Algernon is has just established a clinical research program for the treatment of D. Wow, for the treatment of stroke patients using DMT. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> they have just received approval to conduct the phase one clinical stu- studies of intravenous formulation of DMT to treat stroke victims in the Netherlands. Love it. Yeah. 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 He loves DMT. This is exciting. <laughs> Favorite molecule. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And he just, you were just speaking with... Um, Rick Strassman too, right? And we just had him on our show a couple weeks ago, and you guys were were talking about uh, using DMT with stroke victims. All right, Rick. Uh, thankfully, Rick, uh, we reached out to Rick when we started our program last year and asked him if he would uh, consult with us, and he just said, you know, let me look at the data. And as you know, talking to Rick, he's a very quiet, uh, not an upfront guy. He's just. Uh, you know, means what he says and says what he means. And he came back and he said, uh, I obviously know a great deal about DMT. And he, and he said, I like the, the direction. So I'd like to help. So that was, was really great to have him on board as a, a consultant to us. I'm really, like Christina said, very excited about this podcast to say the least. You know, it's, it's, I personally, I have a lot of healing experience with DMT and I always thought that there might be a play to use DMT and ketamine and um, these compounds for stroke victims. And when we were talking to Rick recently, I think he was actually saying that he was collaborating with you guys and and and, and talking with you about all of this. <clears throat> so I guess the big question, well, we'll get into that in one second. But the first question that I always start off the podcast with is, what made you passionate about getting into this field? What really ignited that flame inside of you? Well, it, it was a series of steps. And uh, I, I mean, I am the CEO of a publicly traded company. Elgenon Pharmaceuticals is a clinical stage drug development company. Okay. And about uh, almost two years ago, one of our lead investors came to me and said, uh, the psychedelic space is really uh, heating up. And, uh, and I said, yeah, you know, we're, we are working in lung disease. We're working in kidney disease. We're working in, uh, liver disease. And I said, I don't know. I'll said, I'll have a look at it. I know it's a hot space, but it's got to make sense for us. And so we are a, as a drug development company, we're, we're looking at pure pharma plays. That means we can synthesize the compound. There's an op- there's good preclinical data. We can run a clinical trial and trials and get a label, which is an approved indication with a regulatory agency. So I said, if all of those things fit, I'm interested. So I sent my science team out to look. And at the time, our co-founder, Dr. Mark Williams, who had a background in stroke, he uh, came back quickly with the, the rest of the team and said, you know, 
DMT is pretty interesting. And uh, he said, uh, in, you know, the data is showing that it encourages the production of a very important protein in the brain called BDNF. And BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, plays an important role in helping the brain heal after an injury like a stroke. So I said, great, let's, let's dig in. And uh, the data was very compelling. There was a study done by uh, Olson at the University of California showing that uh, there was a class effect. Uh, amphetamine, uh, DMT, and LSD, all when you expose them to neurons, showed growth. Then there was a study in Hungary where rats that were given a stroke injury, then given DMT, showed uh, a diminished area of damage and almost full motor function recovery. So, uh, sorry, I don't want to take up uh, 20 minutes with my first answer, but it, no, it, I love it. it was, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to find anybody that hasn't been touched negatively by stroke personally or in their family or friends. So I thought this is such an important area. There's very little to help people. This is really brilliant. Uh, and, and if we can help people heal, it's very different than the current approach or the, the recent drugs that have failed have tried to stop the damage in a stroke, but DMT might help heal. I just thought that was fantastic and we needed to jump in. I love it. I love it. This is yeah, a, more research needs to be done. Yeah, no, for sure. But super exciting. this is really, really exciting stuff. So I guess the what, what my question for you would be going into this is when you're talking about using DMT or dimethyltryptamine to help treat stroke victims, what would your dosing profile be? Would you actually be going in at a psychedelic dose of the medicine or would these be sub psychedelic doses or what, like, what are we talking about here? So great question. And so let's go back to the early research. So Olson that did a number of studies with DMT, he showed this class effect that uh, various psychedelic drugs are stimulating the neuron. It's called neuroplasticity. The neuron Actually, the number of connections increase. There are these, uh, they're called spines that come out of the neuron and the synapses occur along them and they communicate with other neurons. And what happens when you have an injury is this growth of the neuron and neuroplasticity helps the brain bridge the gap literally over the damaged area. And uh, so in he, he did a follow-up study because uh, he was exploring, well, what dosage causes that neuroplasticity, sub-psychedelic doses. Mm. He also did a, what's, uh, people might be interested when you, um, they, they basically can study any indication in human beings, in animals, and they can recreate. So uh, they recreate the indication or the illness and they can, uh, they, then they'll test their drug. So they did a depression model, which is a swim test for rats. At a sub-psychedelic dose, DMT also reduced the, uh, so the, it increased the activity of the rat, which showed that it was effective as an antidepressant, even at a sub-psychedelic dose. Why this is important, and we're not making any judgment as a company on the merits of the psychedelic experience. It just so happens, though, that when you've had a stroke, and there's two kinds of stroke, there's hemorrhagic, which is a bleed. Ischemic is a blockage. About 85% of people will suffer a blockage. 
Um, if you've had a stroke, you have an injury, you likely have confusion. Many patients have uh, experienced hallucinations from earlier stroke drugs on trials, and those tr trials have failed. You don't want patients jumping out of hospital beds, breaking hips, legs. You don't have a spirit guide who's walking you through. You know, this is the colors you're experiencing. There's audible sensation. There's a visual so it makes sense. It's intuitive that you don't want to be sending a stroke patient on a psychedelic journey. And so talking about Rick Strassman, he established the psychedelic dose threshold at 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. And if you read his book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, he talks about how he was overdosing his first patients and how they had these wild experiences and, and they were flailing around and and one of the, you know, he, he was able to ask them after he would debrief. Well, what did you experience? At certain high doses, they couldn't even remember mm -hmm. or translate what had happened. And so we at Algenon did our own research confirming a subpsychedelic dose caused neuroplasticity. So yeah. long answer to your question, but uh, we're not making judgments here, but it just so happens that a subpsychedelic dose does still seem to encourage BDNF, that encourages recovery. We don't need to give people that experience. And that's what we're focusing on with our phase one study, sub-psychedelic doses of DMT. I, I love it. And and I, I imagine when you're talking about the cones coming off of the actual pathways, you're talking about dendrite growth? Dendrite growth, that's right. Beautiful. Okay, so so moving forward into the future, if you guys want, this is another thing that came to my mind. So maybe if you want to go ahead and test the waters with this one, speaking of water, drowning victims. Yeah. I think drowning victims could have some amazing results with this as well. But thank yeah. you very much for the work that you're doing. Like, cause like this is this is phenomenal. I, I think that this is definitely, you know, going to help so many people. We actually are we're treating a couple stroke victims with ketamine at our facility right now, and we're having phenomenal results with that as well. Very interesting. Well, you, uh, you know, it's, I think people would be surprised. You know, I talked earlier about the two types of stroke. You have hemorrhagic, which is bleed about 15% have a bleed and, and they treat it very differently. And when you get to the hospital, we need to image you to find out what you have. Do you have a blockage or a bleed? Because we treat them differently. If you have a, a blockage, we're going to possibly treat you with a high energy clot buster. Mm -hmm. That could be fatal if you have a hemorrhage. So we need to know. Now, what folks might be surprised about is that, so we talked about the percentage, 85% of a blockage. You go for treatment. There's only two kinds of treatment for an ischemic or blockage. One is the, this high it, uh, intense clot buster, but only about 10% of patients qualify. And why, you'd ask? Well, first off, they may have other issues going on that where they can't take that drug, but predominantly they're not getting to the hospital soon enough. If you're not at the hospital within three to four hours, we can't give you that drug. It actually will not only not help, it will hurt you. The second is the mechanical removal of the clot. This is called a thrombectomy. They do a groin puncture and they bring up a very thin, almost, you know, think of a hair into your vessel where the blockage is and they try to remove that clot. In total, only 15% of 
Patients that have suffered an ischemic stroke have treatment. The rest are watchful waiting. It's a massive global problem. And if DMT can help 85% of people who are just, they're just keeping them on, uh, uh, keeping them on an IV solution and keeping their blood pressure down. And they're hoping that the stroke doesn't do that much damage. To me, that's not good enough. And when you can suffer deficits, uh, cognitive, motor function, you may not recognize your family and friends. You may not be able to speak or see or hear. There's a huge need, and we're very excited that DMT is going to play an important part in the recovery of the brain. And wow, won't that be interesting? Here's this spirit molecule that, that may help change your life and change your view on depression and addictions and other challenges, but also at a cellular level, it can, it can be helping your brain heal. It's really cool. I, um, I personally suffered from substance abuse issues and I was an alcoholic for over 20 years and it was, pardon me, it was, I was self-medicating depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And, uh, my addiction actually led me down a road where it got so bad that I actually became addicted to heroin. And I actually had quit a six year heroin addiction from a DMT experience that I had. And so like in my, in my, in my real like opinion, you know, like I think all of the psychedelic compounds are very important and they all play different roles, but I really think that like ketamine and DMT in my personal opinion are like two of the most profound molecules that you can find on the planet when it comes to healing. And you know, I think it's so fascinating because like, I, you know, I'm a huge advocate for the actual psychedelic experience, but mm-hmm. a lot and but, you know, I've I, you know, DMT breakthrough experiences can be incredibly intense, to say the least. And maybe a lot of people aren't actually prepared for that. But mm-hmm. to know that it's going in and and doing this physiological healing you know, neurologically through these sub psychedelic doses, I think is really promising because it opens up that door to door for, uh, you know, for more people to be open-minded to this. And we're not even talking about tripping or going on a psychedelic journey. This is just a medicine that's doing amazing work. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, L I, I, uh, we've sponsored recently a study at Yale university and it's a depression study with DMT and it's not our core focus. But Yale came to us and said, and if you can imagine, and this is because DMT is a schedule one drug Mm -hmm. and it's so, uh, it's so highly controlled that even scientists can't get access to it. And we're against that. You know, we, we are a pharma development company, uh, safe data collections, science, get the data, but to restrict access to the drug and to, amplify this, the Yale professor that reached out to us, the top guy in uh, psychiatry there said, I can't get DMT. There's very few companies in the world that are licensed to produce it. And he said, do you guys have some extra DMT kicking around that you can share with Yale? And I said, um, you know, yes. I said, "We're, we're not a charity. So, I mean, I have to have a reason to help. But my reasons were twofold. One, we'll have access to the data. It could be informative with our work. And secondly, uh, high water uh, raises all boats. Well, I, just, go, go ahead. I'm I sorry. just saw an article today, actually, that they are now synthesizing 5-MeO-DMT. 
I don't, I don't think it's your company, um, but it's not us, but so. you know, and that's, that's just a slight molecular change, but I'm just curious. Uh, you mentioned your uh, DMT experience. Was it DMT or five MEO? It, it was NNDMT. NNDN. Okay. And was it just curious? Do, I, did you do the ayahuasca? Tea I, I, I actually have, I haven't used ayahuasca in my healing journey. Um, I, my psychedelic journeys, it, it's come to an end, but, but I actually have around 40 breakthrough experiences on NMDMT where mm -hmm. I had some of the most profound experiences I think a human being can have on them. It uh, really mm -hmm. made life magical to say the least. And I learned a lot about the universe and, you know, the universal laws and the ways things that work, you know, and yourself I, and myself for sure <laughs> but you know hey we are the universe so <laughs> but um so so here so here's my thing I, I i love what you're doing but i actually think there's a play to like with with the data that you guys are collecting i think that this is way bigger than even just treating stroke victims is there a possibility that you know with with all this data that you guys are collecting that we could you know possibly get dmt descheduled as a schedule one drug because it has medicinal yeah. properties now, like yeah. legitimately. This will be a step. I think we all have to accept that this will this will be a step-by-step -step process. And so if you look at the legislature, the language around Schedule 1, it says a drug that has no therapeutic benefit. Yeah. And I've been asked many times, well, you know, are you worried about uh, getting, because it's not really the FDA, it's the DEA, it's the drug enforcement. And I said, you know, I'm not worried about getting DMT approved if we have good data. Yeah. And I think the we're approaching it from a very clinical perspective. We are, somebody's had a stroke, somebody's called 911, you're at the hospital, you've been imaged, you're hemorrhagic or ischemic, you're in ICU, you qualify for DMT, it's intravenous, it's delivered in the hospital. How crazy it's would that not be? not psychedelic. And if we're showing a benefit, that will, we'll go back to the FDA. We'll run our phase 2B and phase 3 study. And I have no concern. I mean, it's a, it, some of it's quite silly. I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure how many hundreds of drugs that are approved that are either addictive or cause a psychedelic experience. Yeah. From I was actually to... like two days ago, I was just looking through like the different schedules and everything that they say and these drugs that they say that aren't addictive that actually are addictive. And it, it's just it's crazy to me. <laughs> I mean, this we this was part of the uh, Nixon administration and their mm -hmm. attempt to uh, to really crush the Vietnam War movement. The psychedelic drugs got demonized. And, you know, uh, I'm not commenting even on that politically. I'm just, we're a research company. Yeah. And no. we know where the data shows us. And this, the drugs, uh, this drug has been shown to be non-toxic. Uh, it's taken up by sigma one into the brain. You uh, obviously have the hallucinogenic effect at a certain dose. We're showing sub-psychedelic, it's causing healing. I have no concern at all that when we have the data and if it shows it's helping stroke patients, we will get it approved quickly. Uh, when I, uh, Algernon uh, sponsored uh, Wonderland to two weeks ago, yeah, the, the FDA had one of their uh, uh, folks there who came to meet me after and said that uh, he thoroughly enjoyed the presentation, the approach we're taking, which 
uh, might dampen fears that this is going to be sold at drugstores and psychedelic mayhem will ensue, fires, anarchy, uh, <laughs> madness. Uh, th that is just not logical, sane. Th that's not the way to approach this. And I think Elginon's approach may calm some fears and could, as you said, educate others on the effects of DMT and where can we go from here? That's, that's maybe what will come from our work. You know, it's so funny because like that, like that's the taboo is that like, Oh, if we give people access to psychedelics or if we decrim or if we, we deschedule it from one and people actually can use these medicines that is going to cause some sort of mayhem and, and, and this revolt. And the truth is, is like the counterculture. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it, it's like psychedelic medicines actually gave me the ability to truly love myself for the first time in, in my entire life. And I'm a huge believer that like, we can't really truly love other people until we truly love ourselves. So in turn, it made me have the ability to love other people. So like, it's it's really like the opposite of what the stigma that would be associated with this. If anything, it actually brings people closer together. And that's what kind of taps in back to with the whole Nixon thing with the Vietnam War. It's like, you know, during some of my psychedelic experiences, I've actually gone down to oneness with everything and became one with the universe and everything in it. And I can ex I, I can completely understand how, you know, that would be a really big issue and problem when you're trying to send people off to war to go kill one another because like you have that kind of oneness experience and people don't really want to do that you know so i think if anything moving forward that like the people out there should know that like these medicines are going to bring people together and unite people rather than cause all of these kind of you know crazy type scenarios that people are nervous about and potentially heal their brains there you go i mean <laughs> I well, love yeah it. and and really what we need to find out and we're we're just at the start is what is really an injury mm -hmm. uh so stroke is an injury traumatic brain injury but would you consider uh dementia is their injury there and so Interesting, one little bit of the study, because I'm often asked, it's called, I call it the Superman effect. Somebody said to me, well, if you take DMT, are you going to be, can you run faster? Will you, will you be smarter? Will your intellect increase, your IQ, and so on? And it's all sort of interesting things. What I can comment on just looking at the study, in the, in the, in the study in Hungary uh, done by a researcher called Nardai, he took a number of rats and it's called a stroke occlusion model. So they occlude or block the blood flow to one half of the brain. And um, that occurs for a period of time. It causes the damage. They provide some of the rats with DMT and some receive nothing. They were in the control group. And then after 30 days, they would look at the image, the brain, they remove the, the, the blood flow blockage. So that, normal flow was re uh, returned and the DNT group had a smaller damaged area and their motor function in their So if it was a right stroke model, their left limb was damaged. Mm -hmm. And in the rats that got DMT, their left limb was almost as good as their right limb. But interestingly enough, mm -hmm. the right limb in the DMT group did not outperform the control group. So, Interesting. What, what? So, yeah, there wasn't hyper speed, and basically the rat is grabbing pellets to eat. 
and that's the function of the hand. But the hand wasn't, you know, this rat wasn't lifting 50 pound weights. And uh, so I think what we're seeing is that you have to have an injury. And when you have the injury, BDNF is engaged to help neuroplasticity and, and DMT's role is to help promote BDNF. So um, just on the, that question, I'm, again, I'm, and this is sub-psychedelic and I'm not commenting on the experience of the hallucinogenic, but it didn't, it didn't help that rat, uh, the rats in other ways other than the damaged limb performed almost as good as the limb that wasn't. And so that gives you some insight that uh, I don't know about the Superman effect. That's like incredibly profound though. You know, I have a question. Please go ahead. So have, are you testing anything with like the time span in between the stroke and giving a person DMT? So say a person had a stroke five years ago, are they getting the same benefit out of the DMT and the same neurogenesis and, and brain growth rather than a person who just had a stroke and you're treating them? Great question. So um, what the data shows is that 80% of your personal recovery will occur in four and a half weeks mm-hmm. okay. and, and tends to reach its maximum at four to six months. Now that doesn't mean to say, but it would be really, it's, it hasn't been studied. You know, you might hear of somebody that had a stroke eight years ago and now they can see. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at the data, you once you've had a stroke and you've got this area of the brain, depending on where it occurs, which is starved of oxygen and glucose, and so you've got dead area called an infarct, and now the brain's trying to branch around it and function, the function will come back during a certain period of t- or has the potential Mm-hmm. So treating somebody in that period is very important. But since, uh, since DMT is sort of in the healing part of this, previous stroke treatment drugs were focused on something called neuroprotection. And that meant while the stroke is happening, get the drug into them right away, try to reduce the fire that's going on, this damage and burning and so on. And, and most of them really didn't work. We have a much bigger treatment window with DMT. I mean, one drug, and it's still in a study in Canada, they're giving the drug in the ambulance. So you just think about this time period. Your partner finds you in bed in the morning. You're not, you didn't get up and you're not conscious and she call or he calls 911. So now you're X minutes to the emergency. They have to CAT scan you and they have to figure out when they CAT scan you, we're going to find out when that stroke occurred. We're going to be able to see by the damaged area, the volume of the area. We're going to estimate it. But um, instead of rushing in and having a treatment where you've got to get it into them within two or three hours, which is not common, and it depends where you live in the world, you could be rural Montana mm-hmm. or you're in the desert in Libya and you've suffered a stroke, never mind it, just a- access to good health care. You could be hours and hours away from a hospital to get that CAT scan to figure out what kind of stroke you've had. DMT, it's a healing focus. So we've got four and a half weeks. So we can get it into somebody as early as we can. It won't hurt them. That's what we think. The data shows it's not going to hurt them. Yeah. 
but it could start right away. Once that healing process starts, and just so you know, you could be at the hospital, you're going through a stroke. The next day you're in rehab. It happens very quickly. I have one more really important that that, in question that's on my mind for you. So moving forward, and if everything keeps going accordingly, which it seems to be heading in that direction, mm-hmm. what does the FDA approval timing look like for this compound? Well, so just to give you, uh, I'll just take the two seconds. There are four steps to get a drug approved. There's preclinical, mm-hmm. the drug never leaves the laboratory, it's cells and animals. Phase one is when you test your drug in a healthy human population to see if there's toxicity. Phase two is when you test the drug in your patient population that you want to treat. Phase three is a bigger phase two. So you have the normal time period. It usually takes 12 to 13 years to get a new drug approved. But because DMT has been around, it's known, we have data, we're going into a phase one starting next month. And in our phase one study, We're giving people an intravenous dose, so we bypass the stomach and the liver on what's called first pass. The way to get concentration up in the blood is right into the bloodstream. So we give somebody a bolus injection, a one-time shot. We then give them an IV drip, and we hold them at that duration for six hours. That's the first part of our study. Under that psychedelic level, but we're really hitting the receptors. For six hours, you're getting DMT, and it's saturating in your brain. The second part is those patients will come back every two days over 14 days and get DMT. So this is the first time our type of study, it's a duration, longer durations. We're giving people DMT, sub-psychedelic dose. We'll be able to start our phase two, we hope, by the end of next year. Okay. A phase 2A study will be in the ICU, 85% of patients who have nothing but watchful waiting. That study could take four to six months. We could go into a phase 2B, four to six months. We could get fast uh, breakthrough therapy, fast uh, break. There are different. It could be two years, as short as two years before that drug could be available. Because if we have really good data, it's not toxic. It's unethical for a regulatory body to hold us back. Yeah. Yeah. But there are other implications. You have to be manufacturing your drug. That can take months. It can take six months or a year for FDA approval, even with good phase three data. Yeah. So it's complicated. It's situational. But we will be driving as hard as we can if we have good data to say, we've got to get this into patients. There's nothing. And I think we'll have we'll have professionals working with us, not against us. I love it. I think it's really important for people to know too, that don't really know a lot about DMTs that it's found in every single living thing. So everything is naturally producing this molecule. So there's got to be something more to it, right? Terrence, (laughs) Terrence McKenna, psychonaut, one of his favorite, my favorite quotes by him is like, listen, man, if DMT, DMT, everybody's holding, like everybody's got it. You know, it's like, you got it in your brain already. It's already there. So implants implants and everything. So, so the truth is for it to be illegal is almost just kind of like ridiculous to begin with in the first place. Maybe steps. I think we we can get there. And and yeah. and with the work that's you know ketamine's approval for depression, DMTs. Uh, if if we're able to move it forward, 
then I think, uh, you know, we have a, a different population that is uh, growing up. They're taking political seats. We don't have this fear uh, approach. Denver's, uh, Colorado's recent approval, just yeah. like we started with cannabis. So, um, you know, my uncle used to say, when you get together with people, don't talk about money or people, talk about ideas. And that's what Wonderland represented to, to Algernon. We sponsored that event to make sure it happened. We were the lead sponsor and we wrote a reasonable check to make sure that it came together. And we did it not only because we wanted to increase our profile, but we want to encourage people coming together, scientists, investors, regulators to uh, open up and uh, let's, let's understand what we're dealing with. And if there are therapeutic benefits, let's, let's move, move it forward. you, yeah. you can't just say, hey, I'm afraid of this and we're not looking at it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Man, it just makes no sense to me. And yeah. I, Nothing I, changes, I, nothing changes. changes. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much yeah. for your service to humanity, what you guys are doing. Thank you for sponsoring the Wonderland event. It was fantastic. I had a great time there and I met a lot of amazing people. And uh, I look forward to connecting again in the future. Great. Thanks so much. I look forward to uh, giving you guys an update from our phase one study. Thank Sounds you. great. And thank you to all of our listeners for journeying with us today on this edition of Psychedelic Radio. You can download our past episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or by subscribing to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. To learn more about the Warriors of Consciousness, please follow us on social media and go to WOCFund.org and watch the videos. And if nobody's told you that they love you lately, we we do. do. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.